Michigan's Children proudly presents Speaking for Kids, the podcast where we explore crucial conversations impacting the lives of all Michigan children, youth, and families, especially the most vulnerable. Join us each month as we explore public policies and issues in the best interest of our kids and families. We'll bring you lawmakers and policymakers, advocates fighting for change, and the people most affected by those decisions. With our host, Matt Gillard, president and CEO of Michigan's Children, we'll invite you to become engaged, too, and show you how to take action on what matters most to you. Episodes are recorded live and shared virtually on YouTube and the audio hosting sites, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Welcome back to Speaking for Kids, the podcast for Michigan's children. I'm your host, Matt Gillard, and in today's podcast, we'll talk about the budget, budget politics, and, and really the fiscal year 24 state budget process as it winds down here for the next month or so. What should advocates know and how can we advocate for our concerns in the coming few weeks or month as the legislature and the governor finalize our fiscal year state budget for the state of Michigan? Just last week, uh, actually on Friday, state budget negotiators received some expected but somewhat disappointing news that projected revenues for next year and the coming years are are expected to be a little bit lower than they were projected back in January. The May Revenue Estimating Conference, which happens every year, was held on Friday, and in particular, the general fund estimates uh, came in significantly down from what was projected back in January, what the governor based her budget proposal on, uh, and what had been, you know, hoped to be uh, really a record surplus for the state of Michigan. Now, there is still money to be spent, make no mistake about it, and the legislature and the governor will have some real interesting decisions to make here in the next few weeks as they finalize a state budget. Um, certainly before July 1st, that will set our spending levels for the next fiscal year, which starts October 1 of this year. There's some interesting political dynamics weighing in on this process this year as well, with the Democrats now in control of both uh, chambers and the legislature, but the Republicans still uh, influencing some some control over the process by having, uh, by being able to, to withhold votes uh, in order to make it more difficult for the budget to take immediate effect. We'll get into those issues and more with uh, two, with our two guests today, um, who really are, we're, we want to thank them for, first for being with us and really are longstanding uh, experts on this issue and friends of Michigan's children and two lobbyists that have been working in the Lansing area on children's and family issues for a long time. So with us today, we have Andrea Cascarella with the Government Policy and Practice Group at DICOMA. This is a leading law firm right here in Lansing, and Matt Curta, a longstanding partner with Carubin Associates, a leading lobbying firm here in Lansing as well. Thank you both for being with us. Thank you, Matt. Glad to be here. Likewise. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, so thanks. Let's uh, let's start with you, Andrea. Just kind of give us your take in general on kind of the budget process, where things stand now, some of the things you're looking for as someone who's been involved with this, uh, you know, obviously many times or every year for the past several years, and, and how you see this playing out here in the short term. Sure. Yeah. Well, as you said, we, we were just coming off of crack last week and, and the new numbers and and the timing is where we expect, you know, House and Senate have both 
pass their versions of the budget and, and prep those um, all the budgets, uh, department budgets to go to conference committee. So now with the new revised estimate, revenue estimates, um, legislative leaders and uh, the executive office, the governor's office are prepped to negotiate a final budget. And um, you mentioned also, you know, I think there's strong expectation that will be completed by July 1st, so sometime in June, uh, mid to late June, probably wrapping that budget up for the next fiscal year. And, and we expect that to include some um, appropriations for the current fiscal year, 23 fiscal year as well. So, um, you know, everything seems to be on track. Obviously some adjustments as, as you've mentioned in those revenue estimates but not unexpected. So for the most part, revenues are tracking where they were projected to be in January. What we've seen and really impacting that are policies that have been enacted, um, changing tax policies, changing um, our revenues. Um, so, you know, the, the pension tax, the EITC, there've been some corporate tax changes um, some other, you know, tax changes and cumulatively, um, they do have an impact and it really is on the general fund, on the school aid fund side, you are seeing, um, you know, a slight uptick in those numbers, but, you know, um, a little more positive situation on the school aid fund side. The good news, I think, going into the budget and these final negotiations on a deal is that both the House and Senate passed versions of the budget don't exceed the new revenue estimates. I think there was some expectation as policies, you know, legislation was being passed impacting tax revenues to kind of hold back on some of those budget targets to adjust for that. So there was some thought put in as those policies were being passed so that we're not trying to reel back on the budget, but really there's some stark differences, um, you know, between the House and Senate overall and, and within budgets and where those dollars are prioritized. So there will be a lot of negotiation. And I, I say between the chambers, the House and Senate, but also with the governor's recommendations. So there's certainly gonna be that negotiation on what those, um, you know, various programs, whether they're increases or not, or new programs funded, you know, really will be, um, part of that deliberation and negotiations. And as you said as well, with, um, you know, there are Republican votes needed for IE, so they're gonna fold into those negotiations on the budget as well. Yeah, no, that's great. No, I, that's interesting. And I think that point you made about, even though revenues were down with the, you know, or from the from the conference on, on Friday, they still weren't below the numbers that the House and Senate passed versions were. So there isn't this nest, this you know concern, overwhelming concern that cut further cuts, significant further cuts have to be made over the House and Senate versions that have already passed. So Matt, let's get into the politics about this a little bit. Obviously, you know one of the big changes this year um, that we haven't seen in forty plus years here in Lansing is is the Democratic trifecta, right, where we have the Democrats in control of both chambers of the legislature as well as the governor's office. Um, and it's been really interesting for for myself, and I'm sure for you and others who have been around this for a long time to kind of see this dynamic play out. And what we really have seen some significant differences from you know the governor's the process started with the governor's budget proposal back in February 
And now the House and Senate have both passed their own versions. Um, and there are some fairly stark differences between the approach that the governor take and a lot of the areas you know, that we're concerned about, as well as areas across the board for state government. How do you see the politics or the, the kind of inside baseball playing out here in this dynamic between the legislature and the governor, you know, being even though that they are all of the same party, um, clearly button heads a little bit here as we head towards the final stretch of the budget. Well, for sure, Matt. And as Andrea talked about earlier, you know, let's roll back to January and think that uh, so now you're you're Democrats. And uh, for the first time in almost 40 years, you have complete control of state government. So, you know, for years, you've never had the ability to uh, advance an agenda, you know, completely at your direction. You've always had to negotiate things on both sides as for you know a number of years we've had split partisan control under former governor snyder you had you know complete republican control of the legislature so let's add in a couple things there let's add on democrats after 40 years finally have a chance to be in charge then let's layer on redistricting which you know was passed by the voters and uh, we have never seen before an independent redistricting commission uh, uh, both sides see that, of course, uh, differently based on their own perspective. And then you add on, you know, 50, 60, 70 new legislators. And then on top of that, let's add on record one-time revenue that I think many of us who've been around Lansing a long time have never seen. So you have this expectations game of all the priorities that have been pent up for Democrats for years, the things they want to do. And then all of a sudden, you know, the cookie jar is full. So what do we do? Uh, but as you noted, Matt, uh, you know, the governor had a, a direction she laid out at the beginning of the year. And uh, whether planned or not, we've had a number of big ticket items uh, come before the legislature for funding. So I think it's important to remember that, uh, yes, while revenues have dipped, there's still a lot of revenue, you know, available. Uh, this was all planned for. And really, you know, uh, as we go around Lansing, there are hundreds and hundreds of ideas here. On, on, on what to do, you know, when anyone hears uh, government is flush with money, you of course are gonna come up with ideas and suggestions on what to do with that revenue. And so I think you're not seeing a lot of uh, battles play out in public as you have seen in years past when you have split control of government, but that's not to say there aren't uh, some differences of opinions uh, with how to uh, utilize these revenues. So. Uh, I, I think there's a great opportunity uh, for government to do some big and bold things. Uh, I think things that haven't been tried before that probably have some people excited and, and some people a little worried, but it's important to remember, uh, you know, the budget process plays out until we get to revenue estimating in May, which of course, for those of us who are, you know, of the Capital Insider crowd, January and May are the big dates of the year when we figure out how much revenue we have you know, the budget process, the governor starts, she kind of frames the argument, and then the House and Senate kind of respond uh, with their own ideas and proposals. But it's important to recognize until we get to May, uh, those numbers are really just priority setting and proposals and, and each side laying out, playing the long game of here's where we're starting, but here's where we want you know, to end up at the end of the day. So uh, I think there's a... It, it, Revenue estimates certainly did not surprise anybody. I think it's no surprise when you, you spend a lot of money and do some tax cuts, you're gonna have an impact on revenues. Uh, but I think the next couple of weeks in particular are going to be fascinating as you have folks who really haven't in the legislature run this process before 
uh, sit down and figure out how are we going to do this. And uh, one important question we need to keep in mind is uh, procedurally uh, immediate effect. Uh, I might be jumping uh, ahead a bit a little bit here, uh, but generally uh, uh, for legislation to take effect immediately, you need a two thirds vote of both the House and the Senate. Otherwise, if you don't have that, uh, there's a 90 day lag at the end of the session year when legislation takes effect. Obviously with the budget year starting on October 1st and the school budget year starting July 1st, uh, there's a, you know, a, a lot of pressure to get the budget done on time. In the House of Representatives, that really hasn't been a much of an issue in years past as immediate effect is added just through a procedural voice vote. But in the Senate, you need a record roll call vote. Uh, and so while Democrats have a 2018 uh, majority, you need 26 votes for immediate effect. So that's where a little politics probably comes into play here in the next month or so. And it sounds very esoteric to those of you in the real world, but for those of us in the bubble, it's something we're all uh, watching very closely. Yeah, absolutely. So let's dig into that. So, so really, I mean, as it plays, as it as it stands now, it appears to everyone that there's basically two options, right? That the Democrats have, they can either negotiate and 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 negotiate for six Republican votes in the Senate uh, for this roll call vote on immediate effect, and that wouldn't mean giving you know those six senators either priorities that they're looking for in the budget or whatever policy issues that they're pursuing or, you know, an old school political negotiation where you'd have to trade something that these Republicans would want in order to, to ascertain their vote for immediate effect. That's option one. Option two, which is something that's relatively new or being floated at least more seriously than ever before that I can remember here in Lansing is the Democrats saying, screw you guys, we're not going to negotiate over immediate effect. You should give us immediate effect on the budget if you don't want to. Screw you, we're going to do what's called the signy die uh, uh, option, which signy die is the end of the legislative session, right? So every year, usually on December 30th, December 31st, or sometime late December, the, the legislature as a formal process where they close out the legislative session and then any bills that have passed before that point that have not received immediate effect then become effective 90 days after that period what they're floating as an option now is that they could do that signy die by the end of june june 30th and that would mean then that the budget bill having passed but without immediate effect would go into effect by October 1. Um, that it seems like on its face would solve this immediate effect issue for the budget, but then that means the legislature cannot on their own formally meet for the rest of the calendar year. Legislature, leg, the legislature's session would, would, would be done uh, because of that process. Now the governor would still be able to call special legislative sessions, but my understanding is that those would only be able to be called around specific issue items that she identified. This seemed, I mean, for those of us on the inside, this is kind of a drastic option, it seems like. Um, I'm not certain that the effect of it would be that big a deal, ultimately. Uh, you know, legislative session in the fall is kind of a crapshoot anyway. I mean, this is not an election year. So typically there would be more legislative session um, than in, certainly in an election year. But, but whether, you know, the Democrats all in control, they could work with the governor and figuring out what they wanted to get done and needed to get done through special sessions may happen. But it's just kind of an interesting dynamic that we haven't seen before. Give me your best guess, both of you, Andrea and Matt, about what how you think this plays out. Do we ultimately get to the signy die option or do they, you know, cooler heads prevail and negotiations kind of 
take place and we end up where we typically do with the minority party extracting some political uh, capital in order to, in exchange for their immediate effect votes. I'll just say my my short answer is I, I think we negotiate the votes and, and that gets done through the traditional process. You know, certainly um, moving up signing die is an option and, and there's a lot of discussion about that theoretically, but I don't think that that serves anyone well and, and there's a lot of interest, especially on the legislative side and kind of seeding what that agenda is. I will throw out there just kind of for, um, you know, uh, deliberation sake, there is also an option and, and my colleague here at DICOMA, uh, Steve Liedel, former uh, legal counsel for uh, Governor Granholm had sh has shared, there is the, you know, a, a belief as well, you know, be beyond just um, calling special, you know, setting sine die and calling a special session. Another option would be um, to call a special session on a non-session day. So you don't move up sine die, but you move up a special session and allows for a different process to take place. But even given that, I'll just say, I really do believe on both sides of the aisle, there is a, in the legislature an interest to come together and negotiate. And I think a lot of, um, you know, the, we, we've seen, a, there's been a lot of posturing up to this point. We're just in the kind of first phase of the, the budget. Now that we're, we're moving into those true negotiations, now that we're past uh, crack, we're pat, you know, bills are in conference. And I think you're going to see that um, really honest dialogue and, and negotiations to, to reach an agreement. And there's, you know, mutual benefit from both sides in, in doing, moving forward with that path. What do you think, Matt? You agree? You know, I would agree uh, with Andrea there. As, as fun as it would be for us to disagree. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're all in, in, in the, uh, the practice of trying to figure out as we sit here on May 22nd, what happens and, and uh, now we can look back on this in a few months and find out if we're right or wrong. Uh, but, I, you, know, we, you know, I'm sure as some of your listeners are watching you, Matt, explain what could happen here. Uh, the, the eyes probably started to roll a little bit yeah. and, and, <laughs> and glaze over. And we're all playing this game too. I mean, we're, we are trying to game out if they don't hammer out a deal what happens and there's so many things that you try to walk backwards from uh, we, we just don't know yet but there is a possibility we've seen some unprecedented things uh so far this year uh but i would agree with andrea i think ultimately they find a way to get to get this done there's there's you know a lot of options available to to make some deals and uh you know going down this road is a heck of a precedent and and also uh a precedent we don't really have a lot of experience with you know i don't think i think the last time a special session was called is in the 60s at some point here so uh it would be fascinating political theater but i i think they figure out a way to get it done yeah i think i would agree with you as well it gives us something to talk about but at the end of the day you would hope that they'd be able to figure that out all right well let's let's leave that immediate effect to the side let's talk about a little bit a couple other things that that are of note to me and maybe I think to a lot of the folks that, that we partner with and that are interested in, in these issues. I'm gonna kind of package these together even though they're separate, but, I, but, but maybe we can talk about them somewhat together. So one of the things that's been really kind of interesting 
from uh, that we've noticed in the budgets that have passed from the House and the Senate is the amount of spending, and this is obviously because we have increased revenues and we're not talking about cuts, but almost special project spending, right? Where we're seeing, I mean, as a former legislator, I would have loved to have been able to, you know, unfortunately I served at a time when the budgets were the opposite way and we were cutting everything, but I would have been loved to be, you know, fighting for a swimming pool at my local school and, and other things. And you just, I mean, there's a level of this that you see a little bit of every year, but, but it's gone really, I think, uh, beyond anything I've seen in the past, kind of special project uh, funding and, and things in these legislative proposals to this point. Now, obviously, we're not to the finish line yet. But so question one would be, what do you think, how do you see that ultimately playing out in the final negotiations? Are we going to end up with a final budget that has a bunch of you know, line item spending for specific projects in communities? Um, or does most of that stuff get wiped out in the final negotiations? And then kind of related to that, you know, one of the things we've seen in the last several years, especially, is more and more at the end of the day, more and more of these negotiations happening at the very top, right, amongst really the legislative leadership and less and less even the subcommittee chairs or individual rank and file members being involved and the final products being more and more worked out either by the full approach chairs and the governor's office or the leadership itself in the governor's office. Obviously, a lot of that was under Republican control in the legislature. Do you see that same type of dynamic or scenario playing out now that the Democrats have control in the legislature where everything's pushed up to the top and the leader's offices or the you know the speaker's office or the majority leader's office are negotiating all of these final details out with the governor? Or is the process more inclusive for individual members uh, to be a part of these final negotiations? So I know it's kind of a two-part question, but I think those are both, you know, from our standpoint, from a children and families advocacy perspective, these are both important points as we head into this final piece here. Yeah, would you like me to lead on that? Sure, sure. go ahead, Andrea. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's start with um, kind of your second question first. Um, I do think it may be a little different this year um, in that you'll have subcommittee chairs are, you know, I, I think both chairs in the House and Senate were very clear in communicating to uh, subcommittee chairs wanting them to really kind of have ownership over those budgets, you know, it was something they heard about. And there was a lot of frustration the last few uh, years where you've definitely seen just a, a handful of folks in the room that ultimately decide budgets and you have a subcommittee process that really almost kind of gets thrown out the window and, and kind of reevaluate that whole budget and in very different outcomes. And so, you know, I, I think there's been a conscious effort uh, this year uh, with the Democratic chairs, the new Democratic appropriations chairs, to really try to restore a lot of that um, uh, decision making to the subcommittee chairs all the way through the process. And, and I, you know, there'll be some discretion that leadership shows in ultimate negotiations, but I think they've tried to really listen to the chairs and let them set some of the set priorities and, and really look to honor a lot of that. Uh, but again, there are differences between the House and Senate, you know, and, and those have to be resolved. But I think more of an opportunity for those chairs to do that um, and, and then see 
um, much of what they negotiate being the ultimate product for that budget. But again, at the end of the day, it always ends up being, you know, it comes down to those folks, you know, we, we've, we've moved to omnibus budgets and, you know, getting an agreement on that full, um, that full budget deal is important um, with um, both across the aisle with the governor um, all the long across the board there. So it, it is a little bit of a change of what we've seen in the last few years. Um, and I'll just, um, my thoughts on, you know, as you talked about kind of these special projects, you know, the unprecedented um, surplus revenues have driven a lot of that. Typically, I think we saw some of that at the, you know, the end of the year, if there was, you know, in a supplemental, and you might see some of that, not to the degree we've seen in the last couple years, and that's really the, the historic surpluses we've, uh, the states realized and the eagerness um, to spend those dollars, and especially in districts, and so um, in district on projects. Um, I, I do think because with the, the new revenue estimates and the um, some of the reductions there, you may see um, that reduced a bit. You know, that's something that hasn't, we haven't really seen. We know requests have been made and, and we expect to see that again. But um, that may be an area that where we see um, shaped off a little bit in the budget on how much is spent on special projects. But uh, that will never probably go away uh, in the budget process. <laughs> it's, it's important for legislators to address kind of very specific needs in their community. And, and that's the opportunity to do so. What do you think, Matt? What do you think about the process? Or is, is it going to be more inclusive with Democratic leadership? And, and what about all these uh, swimming pools? <laughs> well, I think uh, I, I think it has been more inclusive. You know, the challenge is, uh, I'll go back to the point I, I made earlier. You have so many new people uh, there trying to get a handle on the process. I mean, imagine if you are a new legislator and you're handed a a uh, giant budget like you know k-12 or health and human services something like that and uh, you're getting up to speed and, and you may have been around a couple years and you know some parts of it uh, but that that takes a lot uh, of time and effort to get there so i do think the k-12 uh you know for k-12 and hhs i mentioned those because they're large budgets uh, i think that subcommittee chairs have been given a little more latitude uh, than in years past. Now, remember, we're comparing years past to a, you know, a global pandemic where you can make an argument that, you know, in these unprecedented times, how do you have a, a robust uh, subcommittee process? But I, I think that uh, uh, subcommittee chairs have always been given a little bit of leeway. I think they've been given a little bit more leeway this time around. But ultimately, when you get together and hammer out a budget, you know, everyone is kind of given guardrails uh, within which they need to operate and and target dollar amounts uh, within which they need to appropriate. So uh, I, I think it's been a little more inclusive this time around. Uh, we'll we'll see how it shapes up at the end. And as far as you know, you know, you know, special projects. You know, one person's special project is another person's priority is another person's critical need. Uh, I think that. Uh, that bottle has been opened a few years ago, and uh, I think that Jeannie's not going back in the bottle anytime soon. Yeah, I think it's probably just my my jealous and envy that that makes me bring it up on in situations or opportunities like this. Well, I want to take this opportunity again to to thank 
both Matt Curta and Andrea Cascarilla for, for being longtime friends and partners of Michigan's children and all that we do, but specifically for joining us here today on this podcast and giving all of you listeners some insight kind of into this budget process. Uh, it's going to be a very interesting and dynamic month here in Lansing as uh, all of this shakes out and we ultimately get uh, an agreement between the legislature and the governor moving forward in a, in a fiscal year 2024 state budget that hopefully we can all be happy about and that starts to fund some of the priorities that uh, we know kids and families here in Michigan need. So stay tuned again next month or, or tune in again next month for another exciting edition of Speaking for Kids, where we'll bring uh, important insights and, and information about another issue or topic that's relevant to, to the work that you're doing in the communities right here from our state capital in Lansing. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to Speaking for Kids, the podcast for Michigan's children with host Matt Gillard. Thanks for joining us. To explore these and other issues relevant to our state's children, youth, and families, and to build your advocacy muscle, go to our website at www.michiganschildren.org. You'll find links and news about past and future podcast topics under our resource tab and action alerts under the Take Action tab. Find and like us on Facebook and Twitter. Terry Bannis and Stephen Wallace produced this podcast. Contact them with your questions and ideas for other topics. Michigan's Children is a nonprofit advocacy organization, an independent voice working to reduce disparities in child outcomes from cradle to career through policy change. 